Morning, everyone. It's uh, lovely to be here and to, to bring you the Word of God today. Uh, we actually, uh, this is actually part of a series um, which I started four years ago, and uh, so far we're up to chapter five. At, uh, and you're, I'm sure you'll all remember the, the last one that uh, was January last year. Um, so, actually, you probably won't. So, I'll. I'll just recap a little bit. At the end of chapter 4, we've got that pretty well-known bit uh, where uh, Paul says that we don't lose heart. And although outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for these light and momentary troubles, he calls them, uh, preparing us for an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what we can see, but, but what we can't see. Because the, the things we can see are only temporary, whereas the things that we can't see are eternal. So, so that's where, where we got to last time. And uh, today, Paul is, uh, is urging the, the people of Corinth, and by extension us, uh, urging us to not, to, to, to not look at what we can see. Um, outwardly, because outwardly we are wasting away. We all know that, and, and so is everything else. Everything in this world is declining. It's all, e e even things that look eternal like stars, they're, eventually they're going to burn out. Uh, everything is in decay. And if we look at the things that we can see, we can become, it's easy to become fixated, not, not just on our own poor health or, or poor job or no job or whatever our circumstances are. It, it can be... If we look at those things, it can be frustrating, it can be uh, depressing even. And in a way, that is good because that's the way God designed it to be. He designed it so that we would look at things and be frustrated and hope for something that's better. That's kind of why it's dangerous for a Christian to be healthy and wealthy. I mean, we all we all want those things. We, we Of course, we want to be healthy. And, and I, like in my life, I've been where well, I've been pretty poor and now I'm not as poor as I used to be and I know which one I prefer. But if we, if we have those things, if we have good health, if we have plenty of money, well then they easily distract us from what's actually important, which is the things that are eternal. We wouldn't have... If, we, if, we, if we've got everything we want now, then we, we don't look forward to things. We can't see them, we can't see eternal things physically with our eyes, so we have to look at them with the eye of faith. We read about them in the Word, we uh, meditate on what we read. Look, there's so much in the Scripture. I've been reading a, a biography of, um, of uh, George Whitfield and he would, in the early part of his, before he really started his outdoor ministry, he would spend hours on his knees with the Bible open in front of him, just reading it and getting, and people said he, he would be moving around. He was so overjoyed at what he was reading and, and, and he was pleading with God to show him everything in it. So look, here's a, here's a little sample for you from Isaiah 65. I'll create new heavens. And a new earth. The former things won't be remembered, nor will they even come to mind. 
but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight. Now remember here where he's saying Jerusalem, This is, we know he's referring to the church. I'll create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I'll rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Meditate on that. Don't lose heart. So Paul starts, starts off chapter 5 on a, on a similar sort of theme. And he refers to our present life on earth as like living in a tent. Now, I know there's some people who like camping and like living in a tent. I'm not one of them. Um, tents are either too hot or too cold and they are easily destroyed in even, even moderate weather. Uh, they're flimsy. They're just temporary accommodation at best. But we have a, a much better, an infinitely better place waiting for us. That's a building from God, it says in verse 1. A house not made with hands, that's eternal in the heavens. It's not like it's not like God's waiting for you to, to come before he starts building it or something. It's already there. It's waiting for us. Now, if we compare our present dwelling, our tent, that Paul calls it, with what's to come, well, then he says we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. It's like if, if, you, went on, if you were in England and you set up your tent, your, your nice flash Katmandu three-man tent outside Windsor Castle, you're going to suffer from house envy, I can assure you. And yet... <laughs> And yet next to our heavenly dwelling, where we're going, the one that's waiting for us, even Windsor Castle is going to look like a, an outside toilet. Verse 3. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. This is really a, a reference back to, back to Gen Genesis, to Adam and Eve. After they sinned, you remember, they realised that they were naked and they were ashamed. And God, in his mercy, killed some animals and made clothing for them out of animal skins. So blood was spilled for the first time in this perfect world. But it's a lovely symbolic sign of God using blood to, to make them so that they were no, no longer naked. They had a covering. Jesus also was killed. His blood spilled so that we can have a covering, the robe of righteousness from Isaiah 61. And so we are not found naked in God's presence. You do not want to be found naked in God's presence. And then in verse 4, once again, he emphasises this temporary nature and the, and the frail nature of this tent that we now live in and that he lived in. And so he groans. It's not that he wants to get rid of the the earthly tent without putting on a better one, that would that would not be not be good. No, the, the heavenly dwelling awaits us as soon as we put off this tent. It's like the thief on the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. It's instant when we die. And he says that so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Swallowed up, it's got that 
it's got that impression of a sudden and a definite event, like a bit like Jonah being swallowed by the the great fish. That that was a an unequal contest. There was never any doubt about the outcome. Death is swallowed up by life. It's the same as as light swallows up darkness. There, there's no such thing as a as a darkness globe that you can get to put in your torch or something. You can't shine a darkness torch into a into a lighted room and make it dark. Light always wins. And because of Jesus, life always wins. He just he just has so much life in him, in his person that, that death didn't stand a chance. He was always going to win. And Paul says that that this is not, not just wishful thinking on our part. God has given his people the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Well, I guess that raises the question, how do I know that I have the Holy Spirit? Well, you could ask yourself a few questions. Do you long for your heavenly dwelling? Do you believe that Jesus died and that he was raised from the dead? And can you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord? Is he Lord of your life? All these things are only possible with the Holy Spirit living within us. So all these things that we've been reading here, the, the temporary nature of our bodies, the, the temporary nature of this world, and and. Indeed, our, our own inevitable death, they're all, well, well, they're all temporary. They're going to be swallowed up by life. And we have a solid and sure and eternal house made by God himself. And that should give us some courage to walk through this life with hope and confidence. It's inspiring to read of ordinary men and women who, given the choice of denying Christ, and dying, or uh, denying Christ and living, or, or or confessing Him and dying, they choose they choose to die, which is really to choose life. They find the courage to do that, knowing the the promises that are waiting for them. And so Paul says, "We walk by faith and not by sight," like that song we've just sung. That's how we must live while we're still in this earthly tent. We don't have any choice. We walk by faith and not by sight. Now, don't, don't get bamboozled by that word faith. It's not, there's nothing magical about it. It just means to trust or to rely on. We trust in Jesus. We rely on him. And so we walk by trusting in the promises of Yahweh. Promises that rest on, on the facts of history, the incarnation and the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Because the alternative is to walk by sight and that's just going to lead us to despair when we look at the world around us. The things we see with our eyes are, are people, people we love. They get sick and they die. We see a world that is hostile to the gospel and loves to tell God where to go. You know, like Spurgeon said, 
they did to Jesus on Good Friday what they would have done to God the Father if they could reach him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that, that love doesn't delight in evil but it rejoices in the truth. Well, increasingly people are, in the Western world are electing governments that do delight in evil and they hate the truth. If I look on these things, it can cause me to despair. But thanks be to God, we can be of good courage. He says that twice in verse 6 and verse 8. Because we have hope for the future, no matter how bad this world may seem. And look, in this country, we are still well governed, largely. Um, we have food, we have houses, we have great health care. Um, we have the rule of law, but we must realise that all these things can be taken away from us. Uh, and then we'll be forced onto the, the, the solid, sure foundation, the rock on which our trust is built, the Lord Jesus. And so our aim is to please him by trusting in him, despite what everything looks like. You know, the, the great chapter on faith in Hebrews 11 we, that faith is to be sure of what we hope for and certain of what we can't see. Uh, Noah, how much trust would it have taken to, to build a boat maybe hundreds of miles from the sea? A massive boat, just because God told him there will be a flood. Or Abraham, being 100 years old and his wife 90 and still don't have a son, and yet God has promises that through him all his descendants, all the world will be blessed. Hebrews 11 says that we are aliens and strangers in this place. We don't belong here. So we aim to please him because a judgment is coming in verse 10. <coughs> now, this verse, if it was taken by itself, if it was the only verse in the entire New Testament, it would be massively misunderstood. But we know that Paul stresses over and over again that those who have trusted in Christ are safe. I mean, you know, John, not just Paul, in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that all who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. So what, what's Paul on about here? Did he just have a slip of the pen or brain fade or make a mistake no no we do believe in justification through faith alone Romans 3 but now a righteousness from God has been revealed apart from the law but the law and the prophets testify about it and this, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe but that doesn't stop us believing this also, that there will be a judgment. We all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. They are both true. It's not that our salvation is in doubt because of our sins. I mean, do we want to please him or do we want to please ourselves? Do we want to earn God's displeasure? It's like a child of, of parents that love her. No matter, no matter what she does, her parents continue to love her. 
She'll never be kicked out of the family. But does she want to upset these parents who love her so much and have done so much for her? Or does she want to make them happy, to please them, by doing all that she can to please them? It's, it kind of gets into a slightly murky area because we know that God's commandments are good and that he has told us how to live. But in a, another way, when, to live a life that pleases God is more than obeying the commandments. You know, it's not, it's not sort of to please God you must do this and this and don't do that so much. I think that the Christians I've met, and I know in myself, that generally we're aware of when we're stepping outside of God's pleasure. We know when we've, we're doing something that, that God doesn't really like and that he's not pleased with. However, to him who much is given, much is expected. And so therefore, it's not necessarily the same for everyone when we, when we get away from just the law. Um, you know, there's, there's three Phillips in this church we're not necessarily all all required to live identical lives um, because to him who much is given, much is expected. So as I said, I think we know as the Spirit guides us, as our conscience convicts us, we pray, we read the word, we listen to sermons, we talk to Christians, we do the work of God, remembering what Jesus said when people asked him, how do we do the work of God? And he said to believe in the one that he sent. We fear him with a biblical fear, the fear that a child has for his father who, who he knows will discipline him, but he will always discipline him in love. You know, like King David is the, the great biblical example of a man who was after God's heart, and yet sinned most terribly, I, I would say worse than anybody in this, in this church. And yet, in fact, David's sin was worse than Saul's, you would say, on our judgment. And yet God didn't like Saul. He loved David. David was a man after God's heart. And so... Knowing all these things, we do not lose heart. We look to eternal things for our hope, not things that will fall to bits or rust out or be stolen or die. And we have the Holy Spirit and so we are of good courage because Jesus died. More than that, he rose again and he'll come again and judge the world. And so we aim to live lives that please him because he has been so good to us and so with his help we walk through this life trusting in his love and his faithfulness and his goodness and that he will bring us safely home because he has promised to do so well now we're going to to share in the, the Lord's Supper